HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hey, hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. This is Tuesday, May 23rd, 2023, and this is actually our second episode dedicated to Cask Ale that we've done this month, month in the month of May 2023, and, and this is pretty cool. Um, let's go around the room and everyone introduce themselves. We'll go Steve, then Neil, then Todd. Steve? I'm Steve Hamburg, and I head Cask Mark Americas, representing Cask Mark in the Americas. I love it. <laughs> and yeah. Neil? Hey, my name's Neil Callahan. I'm the beer director for Brickstore Pub in Decatur, Georgia. All right. And Todd? Hey there. I'm Todd DiMatteo, and I'm one of the owners and the head brewer at Good Word Brewing at Public House in Duluth, Georgia. All right. So, um, you know, for, for me, like last month I was in Boston for the NIRAX, the New England Real Ale Fest. And it made me realize just how much Cascale is one of those joys of on-premise and, you know, all, all the time that we spent drinking cans in the pandemic, especially in the Northeast, um, th- things like cask, we kind of forgot about. So um, let's start with Steve. So Steve, we, 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 we've talked a couple of years back and I, I know that cask mark is a big thing in the UK. And I remember when it was first coming into the States. So tell us your involvement with, with cask mark, what it is, and, and just kind of how it's different now than it was five or six years ago in the States. Um, well, it's always been, I think, of course, the theme of the show back then was uh, cask is a niche of a niche of a niche. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if if uh, craft beer is a niche of a beer market, then cask is the niche of a niche of a niche. And it, um, it hasn't really changed that much. But in the post-pandemic period, I think we're we're seeing an embracing of kind of things that are more traditional and brewing. Thus, um, you know, now particularly that on-premises opened up. I mean, in our show back in 2020, it was supposed to be live, but we were probably the first casualty of the pandemic. And from a cask, a cask mark standpoint, the, the pandemic really uh, 
per, what little we had in terms of pubs and tap rooms that were affiliated with Caspark. So um, now that things are, are gradually opening back up, um, it's been really nice to see more places that are interested. Um, and uh, whereas beginning uh, when I inherited this from Paul Pendyke of UK Brewing Supplies, so he was just so busy with so many of his other stuff that he said, hey, Steve, why don't you do this? And it wasn't that big a deal because we, you know, there were probably eight or nine places in the United States and most were in the in the northeast U.S. So New York, Philly, uh, and of course, near Axis in Boston. So the, the affiliated places were mostly New York and Pennsylvania. Um, and I've tried to. Let, yeah, yeah. Sorry, just just tell us what cast mark is, because. Is it Mark with a, is how many E's? Is it M-A-R-Q-U-E-E? -E? Well, that, for whatever reason, they spelled it M-A-R-Q-U-E, so that means everybody calls it Marquee. But it's really just Cask Mark. <laughs> and um, uh, so it was an industry um, program. Uh, basically, if you, if you figure that Cask, Mar Cask Ale is the... the traditional uh, form of service in the United Kingdom. Uh, people in the industry, in the beer industry in the UK, but what a lot of people don't realize is that from in terms of draft dispense, cast market's really a, just a small percentage, even in its homeland. So, you know, we're talking about if it's big numbers, it's less than 20% of draft beer output in the UK is cask. And that had been declining. And then those who are really um, the biggest proponents, the brewers, many small traditional breweries who were really into uh, cask beer and maintaining it, uh, they were uh, concerned about the overall quality. So they came up with this scheme that's sponsored uh, through brewers and pub companies uh, that runs sort of independently, uh, that would do independent assessment of cask ale at pubs so that consumers would know that, hey, it's not that the beer is really up to snuff in these places, that places that apply for cask market and get certified have passed independent uh, assessments. So uh, it's not something you just pay and you get. You, have, you pay a fee and then qualified assessors show up unannounced and then um, check your beer for temperature for appearance for aroma and flavor and it has to meet a minimum quality score and every beer that you have that's tested and we'll test up to six per visit uh, all of the beers that are tested that day have to pass and then you have to pass a subsequent one so you have to all those beers that are tested have to pass uh at least twice and then you're you're when, yeah does the inspector show up and announce himself or his, herself? Uh, yeah, when you show up, you you show some identification to the pub so that they know that they know you're going to come at some point, and the management of the pub, or in this case here, tap rooms are uh, increasingly uh, where Castmark is, but the staffs there know that someone from Castmark will come, but they don't know when, and they. Um, Normally, what I do here is I'll at least tell who the person will be. And then we just ask that, uh, you know, they have proper identification. So, um, 
but again, you don't, you have no idea when that person's going to come. Wow. Uh, so it could be right. any time that the pub is open uh, for normal well, customers. See, that, that's a that's a great intro. Let, let let's go to Todd because you know Todd, you've been on the show quite a bit, and you seem to be at the forefront of of everything that's happening good in in brewing and the tap rooms. I'm just being dragged, uh, kicking and screaming, you know, all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm definitely, and thank you for having me on the show again. It's uh, it's always a pleasure. But, you know, having that tutelage, which I mentioned uh, a lot in the past, you know, I started at Brickstore in 2005 and was there until 2016. You know, you're just around incredible beer um, for such a long time. It just becomes part of your DNA. So, I knew for sure that, you know, when we opened this place that we wanted to have uh, a draft list that, you know, was sort of echoing back to what we, um, you know, what, what Brickstore has done so well for 26 years. So let's, I know you do a little beer fest and we, we've, we've talked about a lot of things that, that you're doing, but, but how does Cask work into your brewery and, and, you know, your, your take on it. And then I also want to dive into like, what styles are really meant for cast? We, we can talk about that a little later too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so again, that kind of starts at Brickstore. I think Brickstore has been pouring cask beer for eight to 10 years. So, uh, or maybe a little more than that, but we had one or two engines, I think for a while there. And we were not uh, quick to get one in the beginning. Like we, I think we had one before we opened, but it wasn't like, on my radar like i knew again the beers that we wanted to make were going to be you know um classic style beers for the most part we still brew fun stuff i guess you'd call it but um having you know three or four english beers was always going to be part of what we had going on we we had one engine for a while and now we've got two um and i guess earlier on i tried you know i tried putting different stuff in casts and what i mean by stuff is uh, different styles uh, like non-traditional english style beers and, you know, we have some dry hop lagers that, you know, did okay for like anniversary, but I feel like for the most part, you know, you can't beat English bitter and, uh, you know, paler stuff. So typically on uh, our normal draft list, we'll have at least four to up to even eight um, English style beers. Um, they sell excellent on draft and we're still trying to introduce our, you know, our, our uh, guest to, to cast beer i think the ones who know really really know and uh you know for the rest of them it's about education and actually we have neil um he does uh beer school over at um at Brickstore. he's been doing it for us for the last um handful of months and and it really starts with like education with the staff so if the staff know care and help curate then that message translates to the guest so they have to be excited about it first and foremost but you know it's funny we just put our first hazy beer on uh, two weeks ago, first one in uh, probably four months. Um, and, you know, we make hoppy beers, uh, hop board beers a lot. But, you know, I feel like the older I've gotten, uh, I try to fight back some of the curmudgeon sort of um, disposition I might have. But, you know, uh, I, I want to typically make and put on stuff that I want to drink. And, uh, and I love English beer. That's a great intro. And, and Neil, let's talk about the brick store and uh, your new cask ale bar. Sure. Yeah. To kind of pick up where uh, Todd had left off, um, the pub did have one beer engine at our downstairs bar for a number of years, but 
Um, to be honest, I, may, I would say nine months out of the year, it sat empty. Um, you know, most brewers weren't focused on making cask ale. And at this point, or at this point in the story, we're talking, you know, 2008, 2010, 2012, brewers weren't looking at cask ale as traditional English dispense real ale. They were looking at the cask as a uh, method to put bullshit into the beer, right? Like, like we, we all, <laughs> we all kind of remember cask ale again, 2008. It was, it's a cask, but it's really more about the adjuncts that you're putting in the cask. And it's this one-off, you know, 10.8 gallons of their IPA, but there's, you know, another three pounds of cascade hops in it, or there's, you know, rainbow Skittles or w whatever the hell. Um, so it, it seems like that was more often how cask was being presented was just sort of as a vessel in which to put stuff into the beer. Um, but even then there, there wasn't a whole lot of cask ale going around of, of any sort. Um, that being said, I think as the adjuncting of craft beer in general has really progressed, I mean, starting in, I would say 2014 or so is when you started to see brewers really, you know, throwing the gauntlet down and not being afraid to put these really wackadoodle adjuncts into the fermenter, into the mash tun. Um, the, the casks kind of ended up sitting empty for the most part. And, and it's not to say that there weren't some breweries that were focused on traditional, you know, putting a great 3.4% English bitter into a cask. They're, they're, they were out there, but they were really few and far between. So I think the folks that were keeping the torch lit uh, for Cascale, we're doing it for the right reasons. Um, that being said, um, Dave Blanchard, who's one of our owners and our founders, has always been an Anglophile and has always loved the presentation and the history and the tradition of Cascale. So as things shut down in 2020, we took the opportunity during shutdown to um, focus on retooling some things around the pub. And we have this beautiful space. It's almost a balcony that overlooks the pub. Um, it's, it's indoors, but it kind of sits right behind our, our main bar. And it had always been kind of underutilized. It was a couple boots, a couple high tops. During shutdown, we kind of took that opportunity and said, wouldn't it be great if we could turn this into a really immersive experience? So um, we built a bar. We have four beer engines and really decorated it and really made it feel like the coziest little English pub that you've ever been in. Um, when If it's really asses and elbows in there, you've got about 12 people that can fit in the cask bar. Um, so it's cozy. It's intimate. And that um, intimate setting really allows us to have our staff, like Todd was saying earlier, have the staff engage with the guests and get them excited about what we're doing and say, hey, this is, check this out. We've got four beer engines. We've got Sierra Nevada Pale Ale on cask. And let's talk about what that means and how it uh, really showcases different elements of the beer than if we were to have the, the same beer on a regular draft line or in can. Um, and it's, it's really been wonderful. People have been reacting really well to it. People are excited about it. And the, the big thing for us, too, is the brewers are excited about it. There's more and more breweries that are coming to us and saying we would be so honored. We would just be so excited if we could have some Cascale pouring here at the brick store. Um, and that's been really, really great. It's, it's, a, it's a blast. I'm actually drinking a uh, uh, Blue Jacket English Bitter, the uh, Style and Grace. So the folks at Blue Jacket have been kind enough to send us a bunch of Cascale and stuff's just phenomenal. Oh, so that's why originally you guys wanted to have uh, Greg Anghart on, even though unfortunately he couldn't make it for the show. Yep, he's, you know, Church Key is doing some incredible stuff. Blue Jacket, 
um, is brewing some incredible stuff. It's, those guys know what they're doing for sure. Yeah. Well, f- first back to style. So, you know, when you mentioned ha- having Sierra Nevada make make a Cascale for their pale ale, how is that different? Let's talk this big picture of what cask is. How is how is a brewery taking one of their American styles and putting it into cask? How does that differ from their traditional English styles that are cask conditioned? You want to start with that, Steve? Well, uh, of course, in theory, any beer could be served out of a cask. But the problem is with uh, casks aren't designed to really hold as much pressure. And a lot of beer styles, um, you know, but certainly most lagers that we, that we have uh, ha- are known for having uh, much more carbonation. And the same thing for various Belgian styles that people like. They're better known for being really effervescent rather than having the, the softer condition that, that cask ale provides. Um, so if we take something like an American pale ale, you know, a classic beer like Sierra Nevada, um, it's going to be softer than the, the standard draft or packaged versions of SNPA. Um, you can, and it's really interesting. It's, I think it's most interesting to have these available places where you can get the actual draft or keg or bottle, you know, uh, draft or canned or bottled versions just for comparison. Um, so you'll get all of the basic features of the beer, but because the serving temperature is slightly warmer, we're talking cellar temp. So, uh, the beers are more aromatic, the hops shine through, uh, just everything sort of comes out, uh, and the flavors express themselves really a lot better than when something is really cold. If we're, you know, we're talking more like low fifties Fahrenheit versus 38 degrees Fahrenheit for a lot of beers. And, um, I think it's really great to sort of see what you can do with a style, even even a, a locker that's put in a cask. Um, again, it's never going to have the level of carbonation, but you may find that the, the flavors and aromas come through more elegantly. And it's a softer drink. Uh, so um, talk about less filling. I think that's one of the great things with cask ale is that it doesn't get you filled as much because there's so the that it's just not as gassy a beer so it's a smoother more elegant drink and i i mean as one who likes to drink by the pint or half liter or more i appreciate when the the carbonation is is a bit softer because it goes down a lot easier and i'm i'm less full so uh the yeah the perfect one tell me the the if we're talking about craft beer, which which I remember um, Pete Brown was wrote a book during the pandemic about craft, and the key was it was the the handwork, the attention of you know a, a master craftsperson, which was only could be gained from the the, the knowledge of repeated doing, you know, with your hands. Um, what what traditional cask ale, cask condition ale? What are the steps involved in? in the expertise that's required beyond just filling up a cask and putting it on the bar. Well, uh, in fact, uh, normally the cask wouldn't be on the bar. Uh, casks are really uh, the shape of the cask, everything about them. They're designed to be, again, not at the bar. They, you can certainly serve them on, on gravity. 
but they're meant to be kept in a cool cellar where the temperature is more controlled you can, and not in the same um, refrigerator space as your kegs because you want the temperature to be um, not, you know, not warm. Not, uh, that's one of the great myths is that you know, the, the Brits drink their beer at room temperature. No, they're drinking cellar temp, which is we're talking 10 to 15 degrees uh, Celsius uh, more like 52 degrees Fahrenheit. And I always say, if you think that's warm, go out in a t-shirt and, and shorts <laughs> on a 52 degree day. I'm in, I'm in Chicago and, um, yeah, here we're sort of 50 degree day. Some people may break out the, the shorts and t-shirts, but we're used to the cold. So maybe that's a little warmer, but it's not, it's not warm beer. So, uh, the most important thing is, do you have a separate space where you can keep the beer at a, at its cellar temp? And then the question is, is it, um, can you maintain that temperature through the line and through, normally these are hand pumped. Um, so a lot of early attempts, people were just running beer line and it would not be through a chilled siphon. Um, so that by the time you got the beer, and the, uh, the beer line was exposed to warmer temperatures as it in its transit to the beer engine and to the bar and by the time it comes out it's lost even if it was cellar temperature in the cellar by the time it comes out of the hand pump we're talking 60 sometimes 70 degrees so it's having that dedication at a place that's serious into this um, to have the dedication to invest in proper equipment that maintains the temperature until it's uh, nice uh, and perfect in your glass. But the, the biggest thing uh, that I think people forget about is that the person who's handling the beer in the cellar, we talk, we talk about a cellarman, which is different than a cellarman in, in, a, in a brewery. The cellar, the cellar person, because of course it's, there's no gender to being in charge of uh, cask beer at your cellar. Uh, the cellar person uh, has to understand how you bring that beer that you've received uh, to the proper maturity and to serve it properly. And a lot of that, there's uh, some crazy little steps that you have to go through to adjust the levels of carbonation and get it so that it is optimized and that you have the right balance of condition and that it pours real, really well out of the, out of the beer engine. Um, it, none of this is rocket science. There are books that are available, and now because we're in modern day, you go online and, and find all sorts of guides for how, how to do Cascale properly. But it does require that step, and it's, it's not as simple as just taking a keg, hooking it up uh, to your tap system, and dispensing it. Um, even though Neil could tell you, and most anyone who's in the business, Neil and Ty could tell you, it's not as simple as that either, because you still have to balance your lines for the proper carbonation and pressure so that you're pouring a, a good pipe. Um, but it's that, I, I think the thing that everyone forgets is the maturation step, that uh, people are rushing things. And, uh, you know, Pete Brown talking about what makes things craft, I think it's kind of slowing things down a little bit. We're not in such a hurry to get the beer served that we want to get the most important thing is to make that beer elegant and beautiful in the glass and a great experience to the drinker. And I think that's why those of us who love Cascale 
um, appreciate the, the extra steps, the time, uh, and the skill sets that are involved. So it's it's more than um, it's the, it takes dedication and investment and time. Um, so I think that's great. Great intro. <laughs> let, let, let's go back yeah. to Neil and Todd if you guys want to talk about handling the cast for you, Neil. Like in the cast dedicated bar, um, things you're learning, steps steps you're taking. You know, when do you know that cask is ready to serve? Sure, sure. Well, we're incredibly fortunate that we have a cellar that's located right behind where our cast bar is located. Um, it's a pretty decent sized room and we keep it at 55 degrees Fahrenheit year round. Um, we keep our vintage beer in here and it's just the perfect cellar temperature for cask ale. So we have a lot of room. So we have, I'm staring at them right now, we've got seven different casks either hooked up or conditioning or um, that just arrived that are settling out right now. Um, so having that space to keep everything at the correct temperature and to Steve's point, um, give it the time to mature, give it that maturation period um, has been really, really great. Um, you know, the, the toughest part of the job is always drinking the beer. Um, and that's what I've got to do every morning because as soon as that, ca as soon as that cask is tapped, uh, the clock's ticking. That's not the situation with hooking, you know, a good word IPA up in a keg. And like Steve was saying, you know, you've got CO2, you've got every, a sealed vessel where there's definitely artistry behind keeping your draft system clean and balanced and all that. But, um, you know, we're very fortunate in that through the efforts that we've made to educate guests and to get our staff excited about our CASC program, we typically don't sit on a firkin, a full firkin for more than two days. Um, if we get past that, you know, we're, we're, we're tasting these casks every single day, um, making sure that they're not past their prime, making sure that we're not uh, detecting any off flavors, um, first and foremost, to make sure that guest's experience is the best that it can be. Um, and second of all, like Steve was saying earlier, you never know who's going to walk in the bar. Uh, and I think it's actually really funny. Our first cask mark visit, um, was from Steve. And I had no idea he was coming, and we hadn't even initiated our, our entry into the program yet. Um, I happened to have no, run into Steve a couple times, and um, literally I was walking around the pub, and I see Steve. I'm like, I know you. You're, you're the cast guy, right, Chicago? Yeah. And um, we started talking, and I said, oh, you know, we were actually just talking about um, how wonderful it would be if we could get involved in the cast mark certification program. And I, he literally like reached in his breast pocket and pulled out uh, a a visit score sheet and said, all right, you want to do your first visit now? Um, I, I keep that interaction always in the back of my mind, not only with the cast program, but with everything at the pub, but you never know who's walking through the door. Um, so if people have heard about this great cast program and they've heard we've had Sierra Pale Ale or they heard we have um, Good Word English Porter, they have, well, we have all these great beers on our cast program. And then they walk in and it's, let's say freezing cold, or let's say it's flat, or let's say there's an off flavor, um, that, that, that sucks. <laughs> I, wish, I wish I had a more eloquent word for it, but um, it sucks and it's not doing a service to the pub and it's not doing a service to cask ale in general. We really feel like uh, we're, we're proselytizing for, the, uh, for upholding what they're doing in the UK here in the US. Um, so yeah, to, to answer your question a little more directly, it's um, a lot of work, it's taking the time, it's taking the effort, and then it's tasting the beer every single day to make sure what we're putting in front of a guest is the absolute best representation of what that brewery is doing. 
Uh, and over to Todd. Todd, I, I know you're a brewer too. Um, if, if you're making a, 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 a cask ale, cask condition ale, you know, you're sending it off with love. Is it inoculated? What, what are the techniques that, that you're doing? And also what's different about sending out a cask than a regular keg? Um, first off, I love what Neil said. That was, that was great. And it made me think about how uh, Brickstore is just like pushed out all of these, you know, folks who have this great love and, and I know passions like overused, but it's like really love for like blue collar work. And, uh, yeah, that cast definitely feels like an extension of all that. Um, but yeah, as far as our approach to making English beer, um, you know, when, when it comes time for like a new recipe, we have four that we make all the time. There's a handful of brewers that are, uh, reach out and they want to do, uh, an English style collab these days with us or a lager beer, which is really cool. Um, opposed to the ones that probably get a little more excitement from the general craft beer drinkers. Um, so we get a chance to make a lot of them. Um, but we designed the recipe with, you know, what do we want to drink? That is where I always want to start with. And, and, you know, what, what does our tap list look like right now? And what does it look like in a few weeks and, and all that, just so we don't overcrowd, um, the tap list with too many, uh, bitters, which sounds like it couldn't happen, but it can. Um, but we don't send a lot of cask beer out, to be honest with you. Um, you know, not many people know how to handle it. I think that, you know, you can obviously tell, um, Neil does, Greg Inger, uh, for sure. There's just, you know, we had one coming to us, actually we had two coming to us. I won't say from where, but it was put on a truck, um, and then sent over and, you know, one popped in route and it's just, they're, they're a delicate little thing. You know, and so we're just really careful about it. We don't send them out too often. Every now and then you might find one um, in North Carolina. We've got a lot of uh, folks that we uh, appreciate. And they appreciate what we do. So we might see one built that way. But we think on hand, we have about 30 of the pens and then about 18 Perkins. So as far as process goes, you know, there's two approaches to it. We like to like expand our loggers too. And I look at both. Uh, that level of sugar when we add a spunding valve and when we're ready to put, you know, um, English beer or whatever into a, a cast, we're going to make sure that if we're not going to add any priming sugar, that it's close enough um, and it's, you know, finishing a fermentation that it's not going to be overly carbonated. I learned my lessons the hard way. Um, this is our sixth year of being open and, and doing cast beer now. So I learned early on that those things will pop and, uh, you know, you guys have to be careful. Um, so one approach would be to fill those casks when they're, you know, Play-Doh or so um, north of their terminal gravity. Um, but what we typically like to do, just because I want to make sure it's going to be really right, and that's what we do about 90% of the time, is, you know, we we actually get beer over to Neil or when he comes up for uh, beer school, because um, I don't know if you, I think you mentioned it, uh, but he's an advanced just around, so he's got a great palate. We have him, you know, taste and pass our beer for any, uh, DDK or any sort of all flavor. And once that's passed, we like to soft crash the beer down to about 60 degrees. And then we will um, fill the, the casks and add a little priming sugar and a tiny bit of uh, biofine, which helps clear the beer up. And like Neil and I think Steve both mentioned, um, you know, we're not in any rush. Like whenever you're, hopefully you get a chance to come and see us, uh, Jimmy, we've, we don't have a ton of floor space. 
but uh, we have casks on the floor all the time. And so we, we like to let cask beer sit at least seven to 10 days. And then after that, we, um, we don't rush to put in the walking because we also have limited space there, but we usually try to, you know, bring it down uh, for at least you know, 12 to 24 hours in a walk-in just so there's not any sort of accidents in a truck or a car or whatever it may be. Um, and then about, you know, 24 to 36 hours before we want to tap something, we, you know, add our smile and make sure the, uh, the pressure's coming down. And then, yeah, we've got two beer engines here, so we like to you know, make sure they're nice and clean and have something rolling. We don't always have both engines rocking where our program is definitely in its infancy compared to especially to uh, to Brickstore Blue Jacket or Church Key for that matter. Um, but yeah, we always have one on at this point and it's it's awesome. Wow. Hey, Steve, you know, when, when we were planning out this episode, we, we emailed a little bit and, and I told you that at Nerex, um, before we talk about you know classic English cast conditioned, I told you that I'd had a couple different beers in Boston. Uh, one was one that I liked. It, uh, Todd Mott at Tributary Brewing in Kittery, Maine, had a California Common um, on as a cask, and it of the American beers, it, it really stood out for me. So, tell us about the California Common style. Why do you think that that um, d- d- came across well in cask? Um, well, the uh, California Common is. is um basically defined by one brand which was anchor steam and since they control the the uh, copyright on the on the name no one really could make a steam beer but what anchor steam was designed to be um you know there was a history of trying to make make lagers in warmer climates so they're effectively using shallow fermenters and the fermentation that takes place is, is somewhat more ale-like. So the fact that you're, that uh, it, uh, again, it's still defined as having pretty high carbonation levels. But if you think about the yeast character and the complex, the complex palate you get from its levels of conditioning, uh, that it, um, normally they're, uh, fermented more in a traditional uh, British style open fermentation, and in their case, kind of shallow vessels. So it's no surprise that the common that a, a brewery produces uh, displays some really nice characteristics in the cask. But the one thing that it won't have that you'd get in a normal package version is a higher level of of carbonation, and that's just because the the cask can't hold it. But you will, you can appreciate all these other flavors and aromas that may not be as evident in a beer that's that's forty degrees Fahrenheit or lower. Thank you. Sure, um, Neil. What f- fill us in more? Everything we're talking about handling casts. Um, you know, s- certain breweries that you're getting. Um, I-, I like this group. This is a great lineup, Steve, with Todd and and you and Neil. This is like all three sides of this game. I love it. Hey, that's dynamite. Neil. Hey, sorry, my internet's been kind of cutting in and out. I apologize. Um, so, sorry, Jimmy, you were just asking about kind of general handling of our casks over here. Yeah, th- keep 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 that going because it's 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 still fascinating to me. I I know that um, you know most of us really don't know how to handle casks, and even we've tried and we haven't done it well. So sure, it's a, again I. I can't emphasize how lucky we are to have a 
a large enough space that we keep it 55 degrees Fahrenheit. So, you know, what, 10, 11 degrees Celsius, um, where we can fit a dozen casks if we need to. That is, it's such a luxury. Um, and um, I feel very fortunate uh, in working with Steve that I've been able to do some of these cask mark visits. Um, and some of those folks are running great cask programs and they're doing phenomenal stuff, but they just, they don't have the, that cellar temperature space to condition their casks. So sometimes those casks are coming from uh, essentially like a walk-in temperature and they're going pretty quickly uh, straight onto that beer engine. Um, so you end up with cask ale that's very, very cold, which is, um, you know, it's not appropriate. It's, you're gonna get dinged on your cask mark visit for having cask that is too cold. Um, you know, the other thing that, the other sort of, I don't wanna say concession, but sort of the concern um, for folks when it comes to temperature is the guest perception. If you don't have staff that is articulate and staff that's excited about teaching about cask, um, then what you end up with is uh, a guest ordering a beer because, you know, but let's, the, the California common that you were just talking about, maybe they order it because they know what a California common is, but they don't know much about cask. The beer comes out, they think it's warm, they think the, the carbonation's too soft. Um, so if you're having that conversation with the guest over and over and your staff isn't explaining, well, look, it's all about uh, allowing more of the nuance of the beer to shine through because of the temperature. And it's about tradition uh, when it comes to serving these English style beers or these American style beers. Um, I guess the, the point I'm making is if you're having to tell, if you're having to apologize over and over that the beer is not cold enough, then I think there's an inclination for some of these folks to maybe keep their beer a little bit too cold when it comes to their cask ale. So that's something that, um, again, sometimes it's out of necessity. And sometimes I think there's an inclination among the publican or among the tap room manager to maybe turn that cooler down a little bit if they have their cask in a kegerator. Um, and that's really not what it's about. I know you're probably going to have to have that conversation with a number of guests that are thinking their beer isn't served at the correct temperature, but it's really having that staff that's able to explain and articulate and get the, the guests excited about what they're experiencing. Um, so that's, I'd, let's say one thing I have noticed when it comes to uh, keeping and storing and when it comes to cask service at some other places is the temperature is such a huge thing. It's, it, you know, like Steve was saying earlier, this isn't warm beer. It's not meant to be warm. It's meant to be cellar temperature. Um, but what I see more often than anything is the cask being served too cold. Um, and that's, uh, yeah, just something that folks really need to be cognizant of. What, what does the two, I mean, I understand there's diff, different styles of beers can should be served at different temperatures, but I still think that it, most people don't understand that. <laughs> and then how does a, a too cold pint of cask impact the flavor? Sure. You know, the reference point I always use is, look, you got Coors Light and it's got the, blue, the mountains on the side of the can that turn blue when it's ice cold. Um, they want that. They want that beer ice cold. They want it as cold as possible, so you don't really taste it. You know, when you bring the temperature down on that beer, it mutes and masks a lot of the flavor, a lot of the nuance, and that's really antithetical to what cask is about. Cask is about really showcasing nuance and showcasing. I, I like that Steve keeps using that word elegance, um, showcasing the elegance of these beers and the, that elegant quality. Those nuances just don't exist in beer that is too cold. Um, that goes for our regular uh, CO2 draft beer as well. Um, 
you know, there, there's definitely some folks that aren't really too familiar with uh, some of the beer styles or, or really our approach to beer that, that will say, uh, our, my, my beer is not cold enough, even on our regular draft line. So then getting that, that guest not only past the draft being a little bit warmer, a little bit closer to a cellar temperature, but then putting them, throwing them in deep end and, hey, this is cellar temperature. This is beer that served at, you know, 11, 12 degrees Celsius. This is beer that served at 55 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, it's uh, the, the line that I try to impart upon the staff is, look, it's just, it's allowing more of the nuance, more of the subtlety, more of the... Um, what makes these beers interesting and unique is really going to shine through at that cool temperature rather than at a very, very cold temperature. Yeah. And, and Neil, just a little more about the, your service at the brick store. Um, give me a, a couple of examples of different styles of beer that you have on your, even your regular draft system and how do you control like the, the carbonation and the, and the temperature, for example? Sure. It's, um, you know, I've seen places that have more advanced draft systems. You know, I've seen plenty of places that have the flux capacitors and, you know, their ability to fine tune um, a lot of the pressure on each of these lines kind of on the fly, which is great. We, we don't have that. So it is a lot of tweaking and a lot of um, playing with regulators on each of these lines. Um, really, at the end of the day, it's it's staff education, you know, and it's um, I love, I love, love, love when a staff member will come up to me in the middle of service and say, hey, um, I was about to go run this stout to the, uh, to the table. I think it's a little too cold. I, I love that. that. That makes me so happy. Neil, you, you're awesome. Let's just take a minute and we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. It's our 14th year on Heritage Radio Network, and we're talking about Cascale, our second Cascale episode for May 2023. Um, we've, got, we've got Steve from Castmark and, and Neil from the Brickstore Pub and Todd, our good buddy from uh, Good Word Brewing. Um, so Steve, back, back to Cass Mark. Um, it, it's pretty neat. I I remember when you guys launched it in in the states. I don't know, maybe around twenty fifteen ish. Um, there was a, there was a little excitement, but it 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 seems that um, it it takes a lot of work and, and a lot of dedication to, to do this right. 
Well, absolutely. Um, I think the other question is a lot of places uh, think that this is a simple process and that um, I think Paul Pendyke said probably in our previous show back at, right before the pandemic hit that a lot of people jumped into the, onto the cast bandwagon because they saw the hand pumps and they thought it was cool. And they had no idea what was involved in actually serving these beers properly. So, you know, there's, there was always this spike in usage and then that fades. And once people realize that it's, it's uh, not quite a turnkey operation. So um, I found, I think there are enough people today. Uh, and I think with the boost in having tap rooms, because a lot of the people who know best how to do this and will take the time to, to do Cascale properly are people at breweries as opposed to uh, at, at pubs uh, that are separate operations. So if it's at a brew pub or a brewery tap room, you tend to have staff that's there that's available regularly that's really dedicated to doing this properly and will take the time. So I'm seeing a burst, particularly post-pandemic, and that's why it's no surprise. I've got 10 new Castmark clients, and that's more than double what I ever had at any one time since I started doing this. Um, and the places that are doing it are places that uh, have always had that dedication. Again, Greg Anger, uh, we've talked about Blue Jacket, his place in D.C., and Church Key, which was before that. But uh, he also has the Grand Delancey in New York City. Uh, they they got their accreditation in the last month. Uh, so they're on board. And he has a new place in New Orleans called Brewery St. X, where they do open fermentation, a lot of traditional lagers and British-style ales. Um, and they have just passed their second assessment. So, in fact, I'm packing up their stuff to, to send them their cask mark, plaque, and swag. Uh, that'll, so they should be getting that pretty soon. Um, but it's that dedication. But there are other places, I think, seeing what's happened with guys in, around Atlanta and Athens. You know, so all of a sudden, here's a community in Georgia. And this is what... I think some of us always felt was going to work was we'd have to have communities where not just one place had it, but multiple sites had it. And it becomes almost competitive in a one-upsmanship. And it means, hey, are you, can you do this properly? And it's like, or is your game good enough? So it happened in, it happened in Los Angeles uh, with um, McLeod Brewing Company. And then there was a, a place called Yorkshire Square doesn't exist now that they sold recently and became um, Project Barley Square. They're in Torrance. The former brewer from uh, McLeod Brewing became the head brewer at um, Yorkshire Square. And he said, hey, you know, we want to do it now. So it's it's having a, you know, multiple places in a market make, means better for everyone. And it also means that... Um, uh, you're not going to let your guard down because you're not the only game in town. But it's, it's, it, is your game good enough? And I think the more places we have that uh, in D.C. now that there are multiple places and there's another location, uh, not through Greg, but through um, guys up in Rockville, a guy named Kurt Harpole, just uh, one of the owners and of True Respite Brewing. 
in Rockville, and it's just a small tap room, and they do one cask. And they will do, we we're talking about uh, doing weird beers, and, you know, the shive holes kind of an excuse for putting stuff in beer that maybe doesn't belong. They, they'll do some non-traditional casks. But um, I think there's a future for doing that, but they still tend to do more brown ales and milds and, uh, and bitters, uh, things that are more, that uh, express themselves better. Um, and they're not one-off kind of gimmicky beers. Uh, so that's always been the problem we have in, with Cascale is that, okay, you're going to, you're going to put all this spice, you're going to put all this other junk in it. People drink it. They go, eh, okay, that was interesting. I've had that. I never want that again. If that's your introduction to Cascale, uh, it's not really a good one. So, uh, another interesting point Neil was mentioning in his experience, a lot of times he's finding that Cascale is too cold. In my experience with Caskmark, the number one reason for, for places to fail the cask mark assessment is because the beer is too warm, not too cold. Even in the U.S., uh, it's too warm. And it's because people don't have good temperature controls in place. And um, beer that's too warm, even in Britain, people don't find palatable. So you can imagine that, you know, that's a real no-no. I mean, I always joke with people, it's like, you know, if you give me a cascale that's too cold, I can let it sit in my glass and it'll warm up. But if you give me a, a warm glass of cascale, it's never going to cool down the cellar temp. So, yeah, so <laughs> you, let's. You, 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 said cellar, you said cellar temp was about 52 degrees Fahrenheit, and yeah. Neil said he keeps his at 55. Is um, there a, a noticeable difference between the two? It's a range. I think uh, I wouldn't go higher. Um, I mean, 55 is, a, I think, the limit that's there. So you always have to think about what you're serving that beer, what temp you're serving it, because once it's in the glass in person, you know, if you've, you've got a, a classic imperial pint, that's a, a sizable quantity of beer. And if that glass is sitting there for a while, it's just getting warmer and warmer. So, you know, if, if you want that beer to stay cool in the glass, I would err on the side of starting a bit lower because it's going to warm out, warm up once it's served. So that's the same thing. If you give me a beer that's a little too cold to start, it's going to warm, make it a little warm, and I can drink it at the, the optimal temperature. But if you give me something that's too warm to start with, I can't cool it down, and I'm not going to throw ice in it. So that's a good point. Hey, hey, back to back to Todd. So Todd. Let's talk about your ultimate cask beer experience, uh, a, a memorable cask that you've had, the setting. Um, was there romance involved? <laughs> uh, that is hilarious. Uh, no romance. Well, I guess romance for uh, friendship or fellowship was involved. And uh, I'm actually going to test uh, text my friend Matty Hardrove to figure out where the hell he were. Uh what uh, what beer we had because it was amazing. We were in um, we at Schilling for uh, their Oktoberfest in September, and we you know we'd already had a little too much to drink to be honest with you. And he got a wild hair to go and drive to this really well known place, and um, yeah, it was like forty minutes out of the way in Vermont, and we went over there and we had some cast beer. We had other things too, but. I can't remember the name of the cask itself, to be honest with you. And I hate that because somebody just mentioned 
one of their other beers the other day and i was like yeah i had you know this this bitter from those guys and it was fantastic but uh yeah i mean again i think that as long as you know you're surrounding yourself with good company and, and the beer's quality and to these guys points not you know not too hot not too cold uh, where, where were you in vermont do you know the brewery I'm going to message him. I won't hold everybody up, but I'm going to message Maddie and ask him what the name of that place was. Um, but yeah, don't don't wait for me. I'll figure the name out, and I'm sure he probably remember. I feel like it was like, not Bluebird, but something like that. I'm, I'm forgetting the name of this, uh, this beer. Yeah. Well, I, I, we've had, you know, let's go back to the English style. Also, when I was talking to Steve, um, he said, even with travel to the USA, the best beers, as in cask ales from the UK, should have been superior to ours. Now, maybe you're talking about the Coniston Bluebird. Yes, uh, it is. Yeah. So I, I still remember that the same with with some of the importers over the years having like a Coniston or a Ridgeway that really did come in. I mean that that was also a tribute to the importer and distributor that, with my limited knowledge of of handling it, we 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 did we did have a wonderful cask, put it on the bar, served it from the spout and um those were memorable we also tried to go through it in in one night as well yeah coniston bluebird oh yeah <laughs> and then i think at nearx they were talking about the, the the landlord timothy taylor beers um yes neil do you get any uh beers from the uk for, for your cask engines uh we don't generally unfortunately um the, the coniston bluebird is one of the only uh, authentic UK bitters that I've seen available. And um, I don't recall having seen any uh, actual firkins of that recently. Um, it's funny you bring up Landlord, though. That's one of my all-time favorite beers. And um, when you asked Todd about that you know, kind of consummate cask ex experience, it's uh, it was Timothy Taylor Landlord at White Locks in Leeds. It's just this unbelievably gorgeous pub. And Landlord is a top five favorite beer of all time for me, for sure. Um, so that's something that uh, we always, I've, I've been sending messages to the Timothy Taylor folks. Uh, I know some other folks have kind of a social media rapport with those guys. Um, we're working on it because having authentic Timothy Taylor Landlord on cask here at the brick store would be, um, I, I, I could retire after we get that done. I would just, I'd, I'd hang it up and say, it's not going to get any better. What What is it about that brewery? Because I've only had it in uh, the bo bottle. It might have been in bottle condition, Timothy Taylor Landlord, years ago. Uh, it, it was the talk of Nerex also that everyone was wanted to get the Timothy Taylor Landlord in cask. Uh, it's, it's such a wonderful, balanced, interesting beer. It's, there's a lot of beers that I really appreciate, you know, cask or otherwise that, um, there's so much complexity and there's so much to pick apart, you know, like a wonderful Lambic. There's just, there's so much there and there's so much to really dive into. And then there's some beers that are there just to kind of throw back, um, you know, pl plenty of beers that, you know, not one note, but might be a little more straightforward. And Timothy Taylor really walks that very, very narrow uh, line between both. It, it, it's got so much complexity and so much nuance to it. Um, but at the same time, it's such a, refreshing just crushable lovely beer it's uh yeah I, I need to work on a more eloquent explanation of why that beer is just the best 
Now, well, how about this? Tell us more about that the pub that you drank it in. Because if we're talking about Caskill, why don't we talk about a couple places in England that are doing it right on premise? Sure. White Locks in, in Leeds. Uh, it's also kind of connected to a place called Turk's Head. It's down a little alley. It's been there, I want to say, since the late 1800s, if I remember correctly. And they clearly haven't updated any of the decor or anything since the 40s or 50s. Um, brass, stained glass. It's it's looks like something out of a Jules Verne novel. It's um, it, copper and brass and carpet. And it's uh, um, just the, the, the loveliest place to drink beer. And then not only is it uh, this gorgeous setting, but I, they've got probably six or seven beer engines and um, a wide variety of styles. Um, great traditional English food. It's just a lovely place. That's great. Steve, what about you? Uh, any great moments or, or tell us about the, the really good English pubs that that you'd go to if you were going to England to drink cask? Uh, that's always a loaded question for me because I've uh, been to the UK like 50 times. Uh, I used to go more often. I used to go you know, three or four times a year and uh haven't recently but it would be you know there are just hundreds of places that i've been to that stand out i think sometimes uh what we forget is that it's less important to have a lot of beer engines available a lot of beers that are available sometimes the best beer is at a pub that serves one or two or three beers but they but each of those beers is served perfectly and those are the those are kinds of places that stand out more to me than a place that has, you know, a dozen different cascales. Uh, the more cascales you have, I think there's been a discussion here about, hey, you know, th these are beers that don't have a long shelf life. And unless you're using a device called a cask breather, which basically blankets the cask, the beer in the cask with CO2, so it's not adding pressure, it just preserves the beer so the shelf life is a little longer, uh, you know, cask beer is going to go bad in three days. So the more beers you have available, more cask beers you have available in a pub, the more likely one of them is not going to be right because you you can't guarantee that all of them are going to pour beautifully unless you're getting a huge crowd. So, you know, we have a tendency in this country to look at places that have, you know, so many taps. And what you really should look at is how many beers do they have that are served brilliantly. And that's where cask mark comes in. So I think when you're traveling in the UK, there is an app. So there's a Caskmark app. And uh, you can even find Caskmark pubs using the Caskmark app. In the US, it's just a little harder to see them because they're so few and far between. But in the UK, where you have 10,000 Caskmark pubs, uh, you go most anywhere and you can use the app. And based on your location on your phone, um, you, know, you, can, you can find places that, are that have been certified. Um, some places, some pubs are great just because they're great places. And I, when I think of those, I think of Samuel Smith's pubs, um, both in Yorkshire and then there are a number of Samuel Smith's pubs in London. They're beautiful pubs, but Samuel Smith's basically only has one cask beer. And that's it. You know, they have Old Brewery Bitter. They have no other, uh, most of the beers you're going to get at a Samuel Smith's pub uh, are their own keg products. But the but the 
pubs themselves are gorgeous. So you go there and you look at the place and say, oh my God, this is a beautiful place to have a drink. And yeah, you know, so the, so there's that that's involved too. So a lot of places, I just love going there because the pubs are really cool, but the beer may not live up to the, the, the pub. So it's like, can you find a place that uh, is a landmark, both in its appearance and also serves brilliantly kept beer? Well, then you're in heaven. And uh, that, those are a lot fewer. So uh, I would say... Those would have cast more? I would say this. Almost every place where I've had the best pints are Caspark pubs now. They, you know, a lot of these places that I went to didn't have the Caspark because the program didn't exist then. But almost any place that really does it right, the Caspark certification sort of follows. So, you know, they, it's it's almost the one nice thing about Caspark is that it's it's basically a guarantee of quality. In other words, if you get a bad pint at a Caspark pub, you can complain about it. So, you know, and they'll talk yeah. and they'll want they'll want to talk to you. That's about correct. It. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna to want to talk to you about it. So that's so that's one of the guarantees is that and really as part of the program, I think all places that serve good beer should do this, is that you uh, as part of a cask mark pub, you really you're we expect all of our places to offer people a try before they buy. So I think that's good with any craft beer that you know, give them a taster and don't charge them for it. Because you don't want them to invest this money and then be disappointed in the pint. Maybe it's not. In, a lot of beers are not for everybody. But for, so I find that if you don't oversell and uh, don't talk about it as much, but offer them tastes of it, people are surprised at how good the beer tastes. Particularly the fact that it's softer conditioning and it's less filling and the flavors and aromas are really more prominent than in icy cold beers. So I know a lot of a lot of people who don't necessarily like a lot of beers uh, can be persuaded to drink beers if they're cast conditioned. You just have to have them, and I think offering a taste of them to see uh, what the flavors are like may turn someone into a cast beer drinker. So and uh, get you to appreciate the broader beer community. So. Uh, so yeah, try before you buy, and uh, Caspark basically is a is a guarantee of a good pint. So if it's not good, we'll make sure that it. Um, the word gets back to Caspark, and we uh, work with the pubs to make sure that the beers are better. Well, Steve, we we could go deeper. We could ask about the metrics for judging and more about the brewing, but I feel like that we all need to go to some of the Caspark establishments and and taste some some proper. Proper pints, yeah. proper cask. Um, the next time we talk about this, um, you know, may, maybe I should make my way to Grand Delancey and interview Greg Engert there. How, how, would you recommend that as a next stop in my learning? Absolutely. Um, I have some guys in, uh, I'm trying to get more places in New York, but Grand Delancey was one. There were folks that I know in New York City who say, hey, you know, like Grand Delancey is a good candidate for it. And they had just opened. And of course, I, I didn't know at the time, but it was a Greg Anger pub. So that neighborhood restaurant group, they really look after their beers beautifully. So it was no surprise when I found out that it was you know part of uh, Greg's enterprises there at that, the neighborhood restaurant group. But I had um, I get contacted by people who are just beer drinkers who say, hey, uh, I've been at a place and the cask beer is really good. Could you try and get them in Caspark? 
So I'm really dependent on uh, the word of mouth from dedicated beer drinkers around the country. And there's no guarantee that I can get them in the program. I mean, people have to pay. Uh, it's not much to be involved in the program. I've even lowered the price to make it easier. Um, but I mean, basically we have to, uh, there, there are some expenses involved in making sure that the beers are uh, assessed. Uh, so, you know, we can't offer it for free. But a lot of places, even even though they have great recommendations from customers, when I approach them and say, nah, it's not for us, we don't want to do it, we're not interested. So I want to remind people that, that just because they're a really good candidate, uh, sometimes they just they're just not interested in being in the program. And that's okay. You know, is you know, wow. I'd love to have them in. But as long as there's as long as they're especially if they're doing a great job, I mean it's an honor for me to have them as part of Castmark in this in this country. That's Steve, that, that's been a great intro, a reintroduction. And I uh, just want to close it out with Todd. Todd, what's going on at Good Word Brewing? Um how was Little Beer and what's your next festival? Well, Little Beer was uh, it was awesome. Um, you know, it's our third year doing it, so we've learned a lot over the years and kind of spread things out on our town green this year and it felt really full and it, it was great, man. Um, it's funny. I'm, I'm glad I, I knew we were getting a little long on the time, but, uh, you know, I've, I've been talking with Steve a little bit via email and also with um, Country Malt. Uh, we use a lot of, um, you know, Thomas Fawcett Malt. So he, uh, James Fawcett is actually coming to the States, I think around G, uh, Great American Beer Festival time. And so I'm trying to link up with him and hopefully I can convince Steve to come down and spend a few days with us. And just recently I was in um, Rhode Island hanging out with a uh, brewery from Manchester called Track Brewing and trying to coordinate with all three of these parties. Hopefully, Steve, you're maybe available or amenable to it, but I'm trying to do something really fun. I'm still trying to figure out what exactly that fun means, but it'll definitely be uh, revolving around uh, English beer and, and food and cask beer and all that. So. More details uh, as I kind of flesh this thing out. You know what, Todd? Do you think you might do it in the winter? Well, you know, I want to say it might be around uh, September, October, somewhere in there. We we have an event called Le Bon. I think I, I was on talking about that at one point as well. And we're, we're planning on doing that. That's the uh, Saison and Oyster uh, Festival we have. But we might shrink that one down, uh, to be honest with you. Like, it's a fun event, but, you know, it's... As you know, it is with cast beer. It's just really hard to get people excited about you know some of these styles. And as uh, anyone who and I know you put on events, uh, it's costly. It's costly. So um, you know, trying to make you know the event not lose money <laughs> is uh, always priority one as a small business. So one, one time I was at a festival that had, they shucked eight thousand oysters. Oh, yeah. it was pretty fun. But I, I know they lost their shirts on it. Uh, I think my my idea of a good time is uh, w one shucker and enough oysters for me and my friends. So. <laughs> right, right. Doing it right. Hey, and, and then th thanks, Todd. And then, Neil, also for you, um, again, a little closing words uh, about Brick, Brick Store and your Cascale Bar. Yeah, we're uh, just always uh, trying to find new ways to showcase our cast program and get more and more folks excited about it. Um, it's always about finding new brewery partners um, because it's uh, really it's a collaboration between the pub and 
the brewery figuring out, you know, what style they want to brew, what style we can accommodate here at the pub. So it's, you know, building those relationships with the good words of the world, the blue jackets of the world, the halfway crooks of the world. Um, yeah, we're very fortunate to have some really great brewery partners. So just continuing to expand that, um, you know, to have uh, someone like Jeff Bagby say, hey, man, I, I want to send you guys a cask. Uh, we don't send casks anywhere. We're, we're going to be you're going to be the only place outside of our tap room that has a Bagby cask. It just it, it's it's such an honor and it gets us excited. So trying to find more brewery partners like that and get some more super cool, exciting stuff flowing through those beer engines. Wow. Well, Steve, Neil, and Todd, thank you so much for joining me here on Heritage Radio Network. It's been a lot of fun, and I'm definitely ready to learn more about my favorite on-premise experience and, and just, just how good it could be in this country and, and the special places. I think I will be going to Grand Delancey probably sooner than later and, and trying to hook up with Greg Engert, too. So um, thanks so much to Armin Spengen, our engineer. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host on Beer Sessions Radio. We'll catch you next time on Heritage Radio Network. All right, guys, thank you so much. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.